Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we break down some of our favorite business and investing lessons from the television set. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, we enter year number two as podcast hosts. How are you feeling, bud? I'm actually feeling pretty good. I I can't believe this is episode 53. Is this our first episode in year two? It is. Yeah, that's it. That's unbelievable. 53 sounds like a lot of episodes. Yeah, I don't... And there have been several weeks where you and I have gone... Oh my gosh, what are we going to talk about this week? But in general, it's been a lot of fun. And all all the things that I had heard going into this were, you're going to have a lot of fun for the first 10 episodes, maybe 20, and then it's going to be a real struggle. But I really like talking about this stuff. I hope we're still connecting, like I said, and have said many times with our listeners, but I really enjoy the process. Yeah, I think my experience has been the opposite. The first 10 were difficult. I think we were still getting our our footing on how, how this works. And then in part, thanks to our amazing listeners, it's just becoming more fun, especially as people engage with us and we realize that people are getting something out of it. So we're kind of doing a bit of a throwback to one of our favorite episodes from last year uh, and one that we got some really good listener feedback on. Last year, we did finance lessons, personal finance lessons from the movies. This year, we're going to do business lessons from television. We've got a bunch of really fun examples of television shows that we think have a lot of business context. And honestly, I think this has gotten easier in recent years because there's been some great television put out kind of in the business community. But that's what we're going to be covering today. These are binge-worthy shows that I'm sure most of you have seen, uh, but we really enjoyed talking about and joking about. So hopefully we can share some of our favorite moments with you. So when this idea came up, and I've talked about my fandom of this show before, the one show that came to mind was The Office. A dying business in a market with massive competitors, and we got to peek into their world for nine seasons of The Office to see how does a paper company manage in the 2000s or 2010s, right? Uh, And I think that there were so many fun business lessons, but Dan... As a fan of The Office, what did you learn about business from watching that show? I think the story that arcs throughout the entire series that I learned is just about the importance of people. So on its surface, right, Michael Scott, the manager of, of the office of Dunder Mifflin and Scranton that we're watching is, is a buffoon, right? Everything he does is, is a screw up. But the one, but as we learn throughout the series, despite what it may look like to us, his branch is actually the most successful. And I think, you know, my business takeaway is that establishing an important culture and and building a team around you of people who fit their appropriate roles is critical to, to meeting success in the long run. So I always thought that was funny because you watch these people and you're like, oh my God, how are these guys 
doing any business. And then you learn that they're looking to Michael to see what he's doing so right to lead his branch to success. And he doesn't even know. But I think you can attribute that to to workplace culture and putting the right people in the right jobs. So uh, the rumor on this, and there's a lot of kind of fandom around the office, was that his character was so unlikable in the first season because they were really doing like a shot-for-shot remake of the UK version. That's kind of how the show started. And Ricky Gervais' character in the UK version is horribly unlikable. And they decided he has to actually be good at sales. That has to be his redeeming quality. And he has to care about people and not be a complete jerk for the entire show. And that really kind of turns the corner on season two and beyond. But I agree with you. When you watch him connect with people in a market where he, in theory, doesn't have the best pricing on a commodity product, that there's still a market for that. People are not always looking for the lowest price. Uh, And I do think that in many businesses where people fear price compression and they fear competition that's going to come in and undercut them, service still matters to people. And and I agree with you that that if you can harness that, if you can embrace that, maybe not in paper, granted I get paper from Office Depot like everybody else, but uh, at least in many, many industries, I do think that that is a, a correct statement. We're seeing that fight play out in so many industries in a big way. And real estate comes to mind, a popular topic for us on the show. But with the emergence of all these e-realtor services, them in direct competition with traditional realtors is, um, I think, going to be something we're going to see play out for the next few years and see who wins out in the end. Absolutely. And I'm going to have another episode coming on that as the sagas of my home and what happens to it continue. But uh, we'll save that for another day. As I watch The Office, one of the other things that I think is really interesting is watching the culture clash when you've got either branches merging or businesses merging. So you've got a couple of things that happen along the way. You've got them shutting down a branch and trying to integrate the Stanford branch into Scranton in which case everybody's gone in a matter of weeks. I mean, just from day one, they start bleeding people because the management style of these different people. And I've always heard, and I do believe in many cases, that people don't quit jobs, they leave managers. That hasn't been true uh, necessarily in my life. And and, uh, But I, I think that that's true for a lot of people, is that if they're working with people they don't get along with and don't respect or whatever the case may be that they're being just crushed by the workload or not appreciated by their uh, folks in their organization that that they leave and and so you know whether people in Scranton had just gotten used to Michael Scott or not I think that there's a lot to say for the fact that other people from that from not that branch couldn't make it for even a few weeks in in that new culture in fact there was a storyline where Stanley was being offered a lot more money by another branch at Dunder Mifflin and was trying to hold Michael basically hostage to either pay up or he's gone. Like it comes down to the money. And at the end of the episode, Michael said, I, I just can't offer you more money. And Stanley couldn't do it. He couldn't leave at the end. He was calling a bluff, but couldn't leave Scranton and couldn't leave Michael. The final thing that I'll say is that uh, as we think about investing a lot, at no point during the office was I thinking, man, that's a good investment. Uh, and at the same time, it was a viable business essentially for the entire time. 
being a viable business and being an investable business that is growing and thriving and taking market share or developing new markets, those are very different things. Uh, and as you kind of think about the old world investing, which is really pure cash flow based and 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 value based, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And we value cash flow as well and profitable businesses. But uh, there is a difference between simply being in business and generating revenue and being sustainable and being something that I would want to invest in personally. So our takeaways from Dunder Mifflin and The Office are number one, people matter. Number two, culture fit is actually a really big deal. And I, that doesn't shock me as you see so many mergers maybe not be additive in value. right? When you see companies merge, I think that's a common, common question. And then number three is the difference between a viable business and one that's growing and really makes sense to, to be an investment or one that you'd want to be a part of financially. Let's go on to our next show. Now, Dan, you're kind of playing catch up on this one, but this is a show that I love uh, and gets into my rewatch cycle you know, once every, every year or two now, and that's Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is an HBO show. It is the story of a tech startup where a young entrepreneur basically spins out a technology from a company that they call in the show Hooli, which uh, seems to have lots of Google-like tendencies to it in terms of the culture around the office. And the entire show is kind of the story of the busts and booms of trying to get a startup off the ground in Silicon Valley and all the silly things that happen. Dan, in the little bit of watching of this that you've done, because I know you haven't seen the whole series, what have you loved about it so far? Rest assured, I will be watching the whole series very soon because it, the couple clips you sent me were hilarious. Not PC. You know, you have, no. if you're easily offended, you should skip Silicon Valley. Correct. Or if you've got young kids around, it's not the time for them. There's, it's the language is super crude. I find it funny. You can judge me if you don't have that same sense of humor, but uh, no, definitely not a show for children. Yeah. So one of the clips that you sent me that, that I just thought was hilarious was them trying to raise capital. They were going on meeting after meeting, trying to raise ca capital from, from investors. And they were, they discovered, well, all the gamesmanship that goes around with it. So they were rejected or, or basically told you're not ready yet by someone. And then they determined, you know what? That's not how it's going to happen. We're going to tell them that that they're not right for us. And every meeting they go in and basically find a new way to uh, to tell these people that that they're awful and and they're not going to do business with them, which follow which is immediately followed by that place offering to invest in the company. So, as I was learning about sales in general, one of the concepts that I thought was really interesting is the concept of a pendulum. And this is tougher to do since we're an audio only show. But if you think about a pendulum swinging, so just a completely free swinging, you know, item, right, of of weight. If you go pushing towards it, you push the pendulum away from you. If you're kind of dragging energy back away from it, it might come your way. And what I mean by that is that as salespeople, there's lots of people that will chase after a prospect. They will chase after a business that they want to do business with, and they will end up pushing them away. They say, we're great. You should come to us, right? And they think of that as being ambitious, but what they're really doing is pushing the prospect kind of further and further into their corner, where if you're explaining or you're pitching in a way that says, this is why you would want to come to me, 
and you can become more of a magnet than a push, that has always been more successful. That concept for me has entirely changed how I interact with people. Uh, and I will get asked and have been asked many times throughout my career, well, why should we work with you? And they're kind of almost baiting me into that conversation of like, well, we're the greatest, and right? All of these things that we're just never going to say, both because I'm trying to be humble about who I am and who I'm good to help and all, all of those things. But number two, it's a trap. And that's really the, that trap being shown, which is if you say, hey, listen, this is kind of what we're doing. We're going to go this direction. This is what we're right for. You're pulling people along with you rather than pushing them away. Uh, and that concept to me, if that makes any sense at all through a podcast format, has always actually been really powerful since I learned it. I went through that experience very recently as a buyer. I had every intention of buying a new truck. It was something I wanted to get for myself. My car is old and I just don't enjoy it. Um, I went to a dealership, had a really good experience with the salesperson. Uh, the vehicle that we were looking at just wasn't right for me. Like I wasn't ready to commit to, to that one. But I liked the guy and I, I felt like we built good rapport. I was going to buy a truck from him until they called me every day for two weeks telling me about the truck and what else they're getting. And it's just not a good experience to go through that to the point where I, I no longer feel like I need to go back to that place because, yeah, I was irritated, quite frankly. Yeah, they, they pushed too hard, right? Exactly. And And yeah, I, I think in today's world to not understand that people are busy and that you know, not getting a decision immediately doesn't mean that you're not getting a decision. That's crazy to me, right? And and, and so, yeah, to, to call somebody every day, I would just simply never pursue any piece of business like that. Not because I don't want to work with people, but it's really my recognition of how I would want somebody to interact with me, right? If I tell you I'm going to get back to you, I'm going to get back to you. If I tell you that I'm going to be considering it... Now, again, I, I've been on the other side of that table, so I tend to be... Um, pretty kind to salespeople in the sense that if I'm not going to do that business, I will also tell them that. Because the worst thing to deal with when you're you know, pursuing a new business relationship is a maybe. A maybe is horrible, right? A yes is great. We can shake hands, move forward. A no stings for a minute and you go, okay, great. Maybe it wasn't the right fit. But then I can move on with my day. That, uh, yeah, we'll see. We're going to let you know. That's really, really tough to deal with. And so people just respond to that a little bit differently. Yeah, certainly. Other things from Silicon Valley that I thought were interesting is simply so the negotiation piece I thought was really was really fun. Uh, I also thought that in season one, where they're trying to come up with some cash flow, and there's a character Peter Gregory in the show who's this billionaire kind of savant investor, and he decides that he's going to order all of the items from Burger King and evaluate their menu. In that process, he realizes they use sesame seeds. There's some, you know, cicada population that's coming and it's going to affect like three out of the four cicada or the three out of the four uh, sesame seed markets in the next year. And he decides he can make this huge profit by buying sesame seed futures. And it, it's so funny to me. And I'm sure that there are investors that try to think in that sort of macro event driven way. Um, and I think that there's a sense that other investors and investing companies are all having that sort of a discussion about like, what are these catalysts going to be? And I really don't think that's how it works at most investment shops. 
I, I think most investment shops are looking for companies that meet a certain criteria. Now, what some start with a screener. I think a lot of start with screeners, whether they're looking for certain profitability or growth metrics, and and they go quickly into kind of a small pool so that they can kind of quickly weed things out. Others, and Dan, you and I start with a little bit more of an open format process where you know I think we tend to pivot from ideas and concepts we know to things that are related to it. Uh, but just the the silliness of that, I, I really enjoyed. And he decides that he's going to hedge that that future uh, disruption in the sesame seed market. And I, I just think that's a really fun scene to to watch and also to kind of poke fun at. Yeah, I mean, the acting is so funny and the writing is so great. So I, I recommend it. Funnily enough, to the other end of that, uh, there are certainly companies that do invest in that macro sense, looking at short-term disruptions that may be coming. I remember I had a friend who told me his friend, who was a meteorologist, got hired at Morgan Stanley. And just thinking about his role as a meteorologist for a big investment bank was was a funny thought exercise because I, I believe that's exactly what he's doing. Looking for droughts and looking for weather disruptions that are going to cause a dislocation in price and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that that's short-term trading type stuff and and those opportunities don't sit around long and I'm I'm sure people make money doing that but that has just never identified with me as a way that I could invest cuz uh, one I think you have to get the prediction right, two I think you have to get the trade right, the timing, right? I mean the the number of variables that you're going to stack on top of each other that you have to be good at managing becomes exceptional. Uh and I think we're trying to limit the number of variables that we can make mistakes on. And that's that's really the difference in ideology. All right. So let's do a this, not that to, to wrap this up. And we don't want to go too far in, into these TV shows. One of the ones that I love is The Prophet, which is Marcus Limonis. He is the CEO of Camping World. He goes and makes personal investments and then works with business owners. I would recommend that over something like bar rescue which is john taffer on fx where he goes in and fixes failing bars or even like a gordon ramsay kitchen nightmares uh no offense to gordon uh where the other restaurant and bar shows seem to me like they are going to fix and flip these restaurants and fix the owners in two to three days and that is the most unrealistic thing i've ever seen most businesses that are failing particularly small businesses are failing because the owner is missing something, right? Behaviorally, there's something missing in their process. They are either not managing their costs effectively. They're not managing their pricing effectively so that they can run a decent margin. They're not managing their staff effectively. They're being jerks to people or they are not creating an environment that's going to be conducive to, to good work. The Profit, which is a CNBC show, if you've never seen it, I'd recommend it if you're interested in small business. But that one, he actually gets his hands dirty in the sense that, number one, you can tell he clearly takes an interest and clearly actually works with the business owner. And I really love that format. And it feels just way more authentic to me of what would be needed to help a business owner versus a fresh coat of paint, slap a new sign on the place, rename it and call it done. He's also got a very simple but beautiful framework to evaluating businesses. It's the three P's, right? People, process, and product, if I'm remembering correctly. And I think if you're thinking of businesses and just start with that, I think you have a, a good branching off point for, for further thought exercises or discussions. But, you know, people, 
very important for a business process. Are you efficient? Do you know what you're doing? And then finally, do you have a product that people want? And you should be able to answer those questions for any business, either if you're it's your own business or if you're looking at an investment. Process is so critical. I, I know we're talking about TV shows, but uh, one of my favorite business books of all time is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And, and so much of that is about driving process and creating process and uh, that many of us get into business because we're technicians. Uh, and I think this is true for me and you, Dan, you and I like doing financial planning. We like doing investing. We like working with individual customers as we are now running a company that will hopefully scale someday to, to some level. We don't know how big we're going to try and get, but that's going to have to be what we work on is the process rather than just being talented right? Being talented will take you so far as an individual, but if you want to build something big, it has to be scalable and process-driven. Uh, and that has always been in the back of my head. I struggle with it for what it's worth. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of terrified personally by those concepts, but I do know that that is the path to a scalable business. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I feel like just through brute force, I can accomplish things, but it's not always the most efficient way to do it. And um I mean, and that's in part why a show like The Profit is so great because he can come in there and find someone with all the best intentions and and products and find that that pain point and try to work on improving it. Um, and a, a funny anecdote about I, th- I think it was Bar Rescue. You know, to your point, there was a, a bar in my right around my hometown that was on the show and it was featured, and they did a total makeover of the place. And it didn't take but a couple months for them to undo every single thing that they did for that place because they didn't get the buy-in of the owners. Whereas with Marcus on the profit, he's really trying to, to get them to, you know, to be vested in the changes. Like he wants them to be a partner in what they're doing. Yeah. And, and that's the key. If, if you're going to simply change things in somebody else's business, the likelihood is you're going to upset them because they were doing it that way for a reason. Even if that reason was flawed and failing, if they haven't figured out that you're trying to help them and really bought in on it, uh, it, it's, it's going to be tough. And I do think that that investment versus just making a TV show where you're going to flip it and move on, uh, I think that makes a big difference. So what have you learned from TV? Uh, Anything that you're watching out there today? Have you taken business and investing lessons away? We'd love to hear from you. Check your balances at Outlook.com is the email address for our show. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we will see you again next time. 